And the last time we were together, we were talking about the fact that as royalty in a kingdom not of this world, which is one of my favorite subjects, sharing God's love is our royal duty. It is something that we are responsible and we're supposed to be doing it. Um, and when you think about it, we really, we represent the king of kings. It's not like we're just, you know, slouches going through life. We are literally royalty. That is our station. That's what happens once you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And serving as representative of the King of Kings, we are his, his ambassadors, and we have a very important role that we must fulfill. We were chosen by him to be in his kingdom, and this is stated, and we went over it in 1 Peter 2, 5 through 9. Um, now, what I will tell you that you're going to need to do tonight, because I have a whole lot of scripture. If you can follow along, that's perfect, that's great, I highly suggest it. If not, at least write down the scripture references so that you can do it on your own time. Because, of course, I'm going to share a lot, I'm going to read a lot, but I really want you to be able to go home and meditate on the things that we're talking about, Okay. So with that, that's why I'm saying to you, and I always forget to start my clock, which is just precious. Okay, now I'm starting it. Thank you so much. You're so sweet. Um, okay, so that's what I'm going to ask that you do. So what I want you to do for right now, we're going to look at 1 Peter 2, verses 5 through 9, and I'm going to share it with you out of the message. And it says, welcome to the living stone, the source of life. The workman took one look and threw it out. God set it in the place of honor. Present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life in which you'll serve as holy priests offering Christ-approved lives up to God. Notice it says Christ-approved lives up to God. The scriptures provide precedent. Look, I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone in the place of honor. Whoever trusts in this stone as a foundation will never have cause to regret it. Now, of course, they're talking about Jesus as that particular stone. To you who trust him, he's a stone to be proud of. But to those who refuse to trust him, the stone the workmen threw out is now the chief foundation stone. For the untrusting, it's a stone to trip over, a boulder blocking the way. They trip and fall because they refuse to obey just as predicted. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the higher calling, calling a priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something from rejected to accepted. Now you may ask, how do we accomplish this task of going around sharing this wonderful news with everybody? Because that is something that a lot of times people get concerned about. It's like, how are we supposed to do this? And we're still supposed to be loving when we're living in a world that seems anything but loving around us? The answer, as I shared before, is very simple. All we have to do is look at our example, who is who? Jesus. So turn with me to John's Gospel, 
the 15th chapter, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 15, and this is exactly where we left off the last time we were together. So if you look at John's Gospel, the 15th chapter, I'm going to share it with you. If we look at it in the New King James Version, which is the one most people have, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one other than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. This is why you will hear me, I'm pausing here, you will hear me say all the time that friend is a covenant word. Again, in the society in which we live, they use this term very freely. You know, like how many friends do you have on Facebook? Some of these people you don't even know, have never seen, or may see, you, you saw them in grade school, okay? And now you are far from grade school. So I wouldn't really consider them a friend. They're an associate, they're someone that you know, a coworker, all of that's fine. And it's fine to have that association. But don't use the word loosely because friend means exactly this. It is somebody that you have a covenant relationship with that if it comes down where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, and it's like you have to give up your life to protect them or to help them, are you willing to do that? There are not a whole lot of people that you may be willing to do that for. So therefore, just consider that when you use that term. So back to the scripture in verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. And if we look at it in the Amplified, it pretty much says the same thing. The only things I want to point out is if you look in verse 13 where it says no one has greater love, it, here is the qualifier, nor stronger commitment. See, that's important because we think we know that God loves us, but I don't think all the time we realize that he is committed to that. It's, it's not something, he's not like people you know, that they say they love you one minute and the next minute you don't know what you're going to get or how they're going to be. Or if you ask them for something and they don't really want to be bothered, all of a sudden they don't seem to know who you are. That's not how God is. God is for real and he never, ever changes. His love is completely unconditional. And that's why I like this translation where it says, no one has greater love nor stronger commitment than to lay down his own life for his friends. And then Jesus is going on to tell us, of course, like we just read, that we are his friends. And then the Message Bible puts it in a way that is really special for the message. And it says, I've told you these things for a purpose. This is speaking of Jesus telling us these things for a purpose. That my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. This is my command. Love one another the way I loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. And I think that that's absolutely encouraging. Now, of course, as we study all of the Gospels, we see how Jesus loved his disciples and the myriad of people around him. Everybody, who, any place that you read, you can see that Jesus didn't what? He exuded nothing 
but love all the time. Now, understand when it comes to sharing God's word, or not so much just his word, well, his word and his love, most importantly, his love freely. It also involves our faith, and that's being authentic, okay? If you are in a situation, you may be at work, you may have a coworker who seems to just do everything they can to make your life difficult. It's not, you know, it's not easy to just be, oh, I just love you. Oh, it's not an easy thing to do. And there are some people, and I hate to say this, but they could even be people in church who are not very kind. They are not very thoughtful. And if you are in a capacity of service, like maybe our hostesses or our ushers or anybody, okay, they can be downright cruel sometimes. But we have to love them anyway and really love them, not fake love them, but really, truly do it. And in order to do that, you have got to be exercising your faith. So that's just clear. And faith and love are, in fact, connected. Turn with me to Galatians, the fifth chapter, and we're going to read verse 6. Galatians 5, verse 6. And in the New King James, it says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And in the Amplified it says, for if we are in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but only faith activated and expressed and working through love. And the message says, I suspect you would never intend this but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. Meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. For in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior. Faith expressed in love. We are living in a world filled with hatred and many unpleasant things, which means there are also many unpleasant people in our midst. Based on our royal duty, we must learn to love the unlovely. There may be people in your community, on your job, or perhaps people that you know quite well who get on your last nerve. And some know how to stay there, it seems. <laughs> okay, I mean, I'm just being authentic. Okay, they do. How do you handle that? You adjust your thinking to realize that the day you were born into the kingdom of God, he gave you all that you needed to be successful. Again, this is simply not my opinion. So turn with me to 2 Peter and we're going to look at the first chapter and the third verse. Second Peter, the first chapter and the third verse. And it says, in the Living Bible translation, for as you know him better, you, he will give you through his great power everything you need for living a truly good life. He even shares his own glory and his own goodness with us. If we look at it in the Amplified, it says, For his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness. 
through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Notice that there is no secret knowledge or a better way or, or alternative belief system which God has revealed to some unique group or teacher. The truth is available to absolutely everyone. And that's very, very important to know. Now, if we look at it in the message, it says everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you, your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. Notice it states everything you need. That's what's been given to us. How many things are left out of everything? Exactly, which means we have the ability to be able to be loving, whether we realize it or not. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, and we're going to look at verses 21, <clears throat> excuse me, through 23. Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 21 through 23. Again, I'm going to choose the Living Bible, and it says, So don't be proud of following the wise men of this world, for God has already given you everything you need. This is so important. I'm going to press the pause button here. I don't know if any of you have ever been involved in any type of business situation or gotten involved in any companies where they it's almost like they're trying to train you to think as they think and do things according to the way they think it should be done, and that's the only way. Um, and then years ago, and I think it might still even be out now, they had people who got involved with like things such as Amway. Now, I'm not knocking any business, so that's not, I put that out here clearly. So for all the Amway people who did well, praise the Lord. I think that's great. Anybody who does well, praise the Lord. I think it's good. But this is where the caution button comes. Don't get so caught up in whatever anyone is telling you that you forget the kingdom that you are a part of, that you forget whose you are and that you forget the principles of that kingdom. That's where you've got to guard your ear gates, guard what you're hearing, and know that. And this just for anything confirms it because God has given you everything you need. So he has given you more than anything any company or business could ever provide. That's just a tool or a vehicle for you, but he's given you everything you need. So your focus needs to be on him and stay there. That's very, very important. Back to verse 24. He has given you Paul and Apollos and Peter as your helpers. He has given you the whole world to use and life and even death as your servants. He has given you all of the present and all of the future. All are yours. And you belong to Christ. And Christ is God's. Doesn't get any better than that. If we look at it in the Amplified, so let no one boast in men about, and this is the qualifier, about their wisdom or of having this or that as one, this or that one as a leader. In other words, because you will hear people that will do that too. And you will even hear people, not here, praise God, we don't have that here, but you will get to, you may go to some churches where people will get up and, you know, we, 
for some of us, we feel like they're pontificating, but they will sit up and tell you how they are, you know, their titles mean everything. They're apostle, they're a pope, they're reverend, they're, they got like five different things before they even get to their first name. And you know, they're just trying to impress you with just how smart they are, not having anything to do with the word, just them, them, and their ego, and all the rest of that. Uh, just kind of realize that that's a separate issue, and separate the wheat from the chaff, and realize that it's not about their wisdom, or of having this or that as any particular leader. For all things are yours, because that's the other thing I love about God. He is no respecter of persons. So there is nothing that any person that's in this earth realm has that's not available to you. You just have to know that and walk in that. It's a wonderful thing. So whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, who is Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or things present or things to come, all things are yours. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. And the message says, I don't want you to hear, I don't want to hear any of you bragging about yourself or anyone else. Everything is already yours as a gift. I love that. And then of course it finishes off with, you are privileged to be in union with Christ, who is in union with God. So we are connected to Christ and all that he has. And that's important to know. All, because there's absolutely nothing left out of that, which means all of it belongs to us as well. Lastly, turn with me to Colossians, the second chapter. And we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. Colossians, the second chapter, verses 9 and 10. And in the New King James Version, it says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. If we look at it, which is going to give us the qualifiers and the amplified, it says, for in him all the fullness of the deity, the Godhead, dwells in bodily form, here's the qualifier, completely expressing the divine essence of God. And in him you have made complete achieving spiritual stature through Christ. Oh my gosh. And he is the head over all rule and authority of every angelic and earthly power. Think about that. So when you're sitting somewhere and you may be faced with a challenge, because challenges come. We all who've done this for a while know that, okay? When you're sitting and you're trying to figure out, okay, Lord. How, you know, how is this going to work out? I know that victory is mine, but how am I going to get to that victory? That's when you can sit and just have total peace because of the fact that you know that completely the whole divine essence of God is in you. So when we say that, we mean it. It's not, this isn't just something we came up with and at the end when we say wherever you are, God is, that sounds cute. No, it's not a sound bite. It's real. When you speak, God is speaking. So whatever your challenge is, guess what? It's not a challenge that God has not seen before and God has not already figured out and God has not already conquered for you. It's already done. You just have to see it. And the enemy is so clever at trying to make us get so caught up with all of the minutia of stuff around us that we forget who we are. And that's what we can never afford to do. 
We cannot do it. It's just not. We just cannot. Now, if we look at this in the message, watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. I know you know somebody like that, okay? <laughs> they want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. But that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him so you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. Now, do you see why I like different translations? Because reading that is totally different than the first one that we read, which was nice. You know, for him dwells all the fullness. That's nice. But this broke it down where you can totally, you got it, and you understand it. Lastly, the thing that, well, it's not really lastly. We have just read, and it's confirmed for us, that we are totally complete in him. It's not our opinion. It's not something somebody told you. The word just explained it to you. These things that we just read were deposited into us the moment that we were born of the Spirit of God or born again. This is just another demonstration of God's love for us. Not only did he rescue us from the clutches of the enemy, he equipped us immediately, not by and by, when the morning comes, you know, all those songs we used to sing, but immediately with all that we needed to win. That moment, all of it, we needed to win. We have the power of the entire Godhead within us. We merely need to exercise our faith and decide to allow his love to flow through us toward others. That's it. If you saw a child on the subway, and it's clear, I mean, I know you see children on the subway all the time, but say you see a child on the subway, and it's clear that child really needs something to eat. It looks like they may not have eaten, you know, and, and they look hungry. And you have a sandwich in your bag. Would you be willing to give that person half of your sandwich, that child half of your sandwich? Or better yet, would you be willing to give the child your sandwich? Okay, right? Because, I mean, that's just like the decent thing to do. Well, some people wouldn't do it, but in doing something like that, all you're really doing is you're extending God's love toward that child. And that, that didn't seem real difficult, right? I mean, it really didn't cost you a whole lot. I mean, you lost your sandwich, but, you know, believe in God, you'll get another one, okay? But it didn't, it wasn't painful. I mean, it wasn't, it didn't cost physical harm to you to be able to do that, right? Okay, so, <laughs> if you can do that, and you realize that you can do that, and in doing it, you really are extending God's love, why is it so hard for you to invite somebody to come to church. I mean, I mean, because it could be a stranger, the same way the child was a stranger. I mean, you don't have to preach a sermon to them. You don't have to give them a whole bunch of scriptures. You don't even have to even know any scriptures, okay? You can just invite them to come. It's really simple. But here's the thing. The power of God's love that's within you, because this is what I think people don't get, it will do the rest. If you place the invitation there, 
which is all you have to do. Come to church with me at such and such a time or whatever. God will then intervene and do the rest because he knows he created that person because he is the giver of life. So even though they may have never heard of God, they're not born again, never been inside a church, he is the one who gave them life. The enemy cannot create life and does not create life. So if you just simply make the invitation, which is spreading his love, which you're doing because you're operating by faith and spreading that love, he will do the rest. And you'd be surprised how many people will say, okay, and just come. But you have to not allow the enemy to trip you up with all the thoughts and ideas and suggestions of what could go wrong just because you put out the invitation. Don't let him do that to you. Because the same way he does that in something simple like inviting somebody to church, he does that when it comes to your health, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your family, when it comes to your relationships, and it goes on and on and on. Don't you dare give him that place. Put him where he needs to remain and always be beneath your feet. So a person's spirit will recognize the love in that invitation simply because you offered something to them that they don't readily receive. The fact that you cared enough to offer them something, just like that child would receive the sandwich and appreciate it. It's the same thing. It's still God's love, and their spirit will get a hold of it and understand it. Also keep in mind, like I said, the enemy will really start to make you feel like that's not possible. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to say something. You know, all the foolishness he, he says. Definitely just don't receive that. We already know that the enemy is a liar, and you cannot allow him to affect your love walk. Be encouraged and confident in his love, in God's love that resides within you. Now I want you to turn with me to 1 John. And we're going to look at the fourth chapter, verses 14 through 16. First John, the fourth chapter, verses 14 through 16. And if we look at it in the New King James Version, it says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Which quite frankly means that if we are not abiding in love, then something's missing, something's off, something is wrong. Okay, and we need to put a check mark there. Okay, so if we look at it, the amplified with the qualifiers, it says, We, here's the qualifier, we who were with him in person have seen and testify as eyewitnesses that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses and acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know by personal observation and experience and have believed with deep, consistent faith the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides continually in him. The message puts it this way. This is how we know we're living steadily and deeply in him and he in us. He's given us life from his life, from his very own spirit, 
Also, we've seen for ourselves and continue to state openly that the Father sent his Son as Savior of the world. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's Son participates continuously in an intimate relationship with God. We know it so well. We've embraced it heart and soul, this love that comes from God. We must also realize that when Jesus commands us to do something, it is not merely a suggestion, okay? We need to take heed and do whatever is necessary to be obedient to the command. It is important <laughs> that, we so, that we do so to operate properly in our royal status in God's kingdom. For instance, how many of us have heard growing up, or you may have actually said it to your own children, while living in my house, you will do thus and so, meaning there's a set of rules while you're living in my house, okay? In other words, you will follow the rules or commands of the household. Well, as children of the Most High God, we must do what? We must obey his commands. Turn with me to John's Gospel, the 13th chapter, and we're going to just look at one verse, verse 34. John's Gospel, the 13th chapter, verse 34. And in the Amplified it says, and this is Jesus speaking, I am giving you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so you too are to love one another. Now the key to understanding this in other statements about love is to know that this love, the Greek word agape, is not so much a matter of emotion, as it is of doing things for the benefit of another person. That is, having an unselfish concern for another and a willingness to seek the best for another. That's truly love. That's why, to be very frank, many times when people get married, they get married and they are, <clears throat> excuse me, unless it's some long, long engagement, you know, all things being equal, they're infatuated with this person. Oh, they think, oh, they're just so wonderful. And they get married. They have to learn to truly love them. You know, that's something that's acquired. That takes some time. That takes living with them. You know, this person that you thought was just so fine when you were a gentleman, you were dating this woman. I mean, she was just gorgeous every time you saw her. And then you get married and realize that the hair that was halfway down the back is up on a rack at night. And it's tied up with a scarf, okay? And these nails that were just so gorgeous and just, oh, wonderful. You know, she'll bang on something and all of a sudden they pop off because they're really not hers at all. And this just hourglass figure. You never knew the woman wore four pair of spanks. Okay, all of this okay, changes when you get married and you still have to love this person that's not at all who you thought you were getting. And I mean, I'll never forget. This is just a funny little thing when I got married. Oh my gosh, I was young. I had no idea. You know, I was just like, oh, you know, I guess I just thought, oh, you just wake up and there are butterflies that are just going to fly around, you know. I mean, this is what I was thinking. I had no idea that you wake up and it's like, where is the mouthwash now, <laughs> you know. I mean, just different things you don't think about. And then you get to a point where when you really love the person, 
You just, you don't see all that. That's why they say love is blind. You really don't. And you can get to a point where it's almost like you feel like your heart is beating in sync with theirs. And this is something else I found out that's really kind of interesting. When people are married for a long time, they actually start to look alike. Now that is weird. <laughs> but it is so true. They actually start to look alike. I was like, wow, that's right. So I'm just saying, there's something to it. So the point is, when you have that true love where you really want to do something more for the other person than yourself, that's acquired. That doesn't just happen after you walk down the aisle and say, I do. People say that to you. That's not being 100% authentic. So more time has to be invested, okay? So that's what this is talking about. And in the message it says, let me give you a new command. Love one another in the same way I loved you. You love one another. This is how, and this is key, this is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other, which means when people come into church and they see that we greet each other and we're kind to each other and when the ushers ask us to move, we just smile and do so. That makes visitors and other people realize, wow, they must really be Christians. They really love one another. That's why it's so important that we remember that and we always do that because just like it said, not my opinion, that's exactly how people will know that we are followers of Christ. Now also, just you're already in John, flip over to Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew's Gospel, the 22nd chapter, verses 36 through 40. Now I have you working a lot flipping through there. Are you with me still? Yeah. Okay, good. Matthew's Gospel, the 22nd chapter, verses 36 through 40. This time I'm going to start out in the Amplified. This is when Jesus is... He has all of these Pharisees and Sadducees around who are questioning him. You know, they, they were trying to kind of like mess with him and say, yeah, okay, you think you know what's going on, so we're going to like make you prove to us you even know what you're talking about, that type of setting. So they are addressing him and say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And there, a lot of them were lawyers, by the way, too. So they felt like they were, you know, very full of themselves, they knew the law, they knew everything, and he's just claiming to be, you know, something. So this is how they thought they were going to put him in his place. So this is what this is, to set it up for you, this is what's happening. So verse 37, and Jesus replied to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the qualifier. That is, unselfishly seek the best or higher good for others. The whole law and the writings of the prophets depend on these two commandments. The message puts it this way. When the Pharisees heard how he had bested the Sadducees, they gathered their forces for an assault. One of the religion scholars spoke for them posing a question they hoped would show him up. Teacher, which command in God's law is the most important? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. But there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs, everything in God's law, and the prophets hang for them. 
I mean, it doesn't get too much more plain than that. Um, but if you turn to Mark, Mark's Gospel, the 12th chapter, and we're going to look at verses 29 to 33. Because what is it going to do? It's going to confirm what we already just read. So Mark 12, verses 29 through 33. In the Amplified, it says, Jesus answered the first and most important one is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, your life, and with all your mind, thought, understanding, and with all your strength. This is the second. You shall unselfishly love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, admirably answered teacher, you truthfully stated that he is one and there is no other but him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to unselfishly love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Hmm. And in the message it says, Jesus said, the first in importance is, listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. So love the Lord God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. And here's the second. Love others as well as you love yourself. There is no other commandment that ranks with these. The religion scholar said, a wonderful answer, teacher, so lucid and accurate that God is one and there is no other. And loving him with all passion and intelligence and energy and loving others as well as you love yourself. Why? That's better than all offerings and sacrifices put together. In other words, obedience is always better than sacrifice. Now, when we understand the importance of love and make it a constant choice in our lives, something happens. We develop a new attitude. We develop a new attitude because we develop an even stronger relationship with the Godhead because we are operating as they always do. You may have heard this expression, birds of a feather flock together. Everybody's heard that, right? Okay, or better yet, you can tell a tree by the fruit it bears. Both of these expressions ring true for us as believers. As we walk in love, we also become quite comfortable in our fellowship with God. We are not fearful to talk with God. Rather, we enjoy our communication. And this is important because it also confirms our faith in him. You will find that when you pray, you expect an answer to your prayer without any type of exception or hesitation because of the confidence that you have in your joint heir. And that's important because sometimes people almost feel as if well, I want so-and-so to pray for me because then I know the prayer is going to get answered. Or I need to come to a church service because if I'm in church and then I pray, then this and that will happen. Opposed to you could be standing on the corner of whatever avenue or street, because I don't know them all. <laughs> or you could be standing waiting for the subway, the bus, whatever. It doesn't matter when you speak. God is speaking. And the more that you're literally walking in love because you're acting as he acts, you become that. You become one with that. Just like 
have you ever had a good associate or a friend? It could be a, an associate or a friend or even a family member who has a certain expression and without you realizing it, you just kind of pick up that expression and before you know it, you're saying it too, you know? I mean, that's because you are having fellowship with that person and you care about that person. Well, as you continue to walk in love and make it a decision, make it a commitment, make it a habit that this is something I'm going to do, you become closer and closer in your relationship with the Godhead because that's all the Godhead ever does is operate in love. So therefore, when you make a request to God, you expect that he's going You don't even think about it. You just know as long as it's in line with the word. But you are going to always pray his word because you are in fellowship with him. You've nurtured your relationship with him. So then you know that you're going to pray his word and be in line with his word. And you're going to expect that he's going to answer you. And that is a wonderful position to hold. Because then you can find joy in the morning all the time. Because you know that you know that you know he's got you. And he's got everything covered for you. I think that is just... I mean, that might not be exciting to you, but it is to me. Okay. So, at, you know, we just know that. Now, turn back. We visited this a little bit before, but turn back with me to 1 John, the fourth chapter. And we're going to drop down and read verses 17 through 19. 1 John, the fourth chapter, verses 17 through 19. And in the New King James Version, it's simple, and it says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. The Amplified says it this way. In this union and fellowship with him, love is completed and perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face him. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Dread does not exist. But perfect, complete, full-grown love drives out fear because fear involves the expectation of divine punishment. So the one who is afraid of God's judgment is not perfected in love, has not grown into a sufficient understanding of God's love. We love because he first loved us, which is wonderful. And lastly, I'm going to share another message. Simple. God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God, and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us, so that we're free of worry on Judgment Day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. I'll repeat that. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is, not, is one not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love. Love and be loved. First, we were loved. Now, we love. He loved us first. Amen.
It's simple, but so abundantly clear. I think so anyway. <laughs> now turn with me. You're, yeah, yeah, you're in John, so I'm going to keep you there. Turn to the eighth chapter. Still John's gospel. Turn to the eighth chapter. Hurry up, gotta hurry up, gotta hurry up. Okay. All right, I just have to do it. Okay. I'm going to share this out of the Amplified. John 8, starting with verse 42, it says Jesus said to them, If God were your father, but he is not, you would love and recognize me, for I am from God out of his very presence and have arrived here. For I have not even come on my own initiative as self-appointed, but he is the one who sent me. Why do you misunderstand what I am saying? It is because your spiritual ears are deaf and you are unable to hear the truth of my word. You are of your father, the devil, and it is your will to practice the desires which are characteristic of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks what is natural to him, for he is a liar and the father of lies and half-truths. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me and continue in your unbelief. Which one of you has proof and convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God and belongs to him hears the truth of God's words. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God and you are not in fellowship with him. So reverse that out, okay? And we who are in fellowship with him, we do hear his voice. We do operate in love, walk in love, and we do speak the truth because we know that the truth is what? The word. If we look at it in the message, it says, if God were your father, said Jesus, you would love me, for I came from God and arrived here. I didn't come on my own. He sent me. Why can't you understand one word I say? Here's why. You can't handle it. You're from your father, the devil, and all you want to do is please him. He was a killer from the very start. He couldn't stand the truth because there wasn't a shred of truth in him. When the liar speaks, he makes it up out of his lying nature and fills the world with lies. I arrive on the scene, tell you the plain truth, and you refuse to have a thing to do with me. Can any one of you convict me of a single misleading word, a single sinful act? But I'm telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? Anyone on God's side listens to God's words. This is why you're not listening, because you're not on God's side. These scriptures also confirm our true faith of what we genuinely believe. And since we're in the Gospel of John, we're going to pick up on next week because this next scripture is very powerful and I really, really want you to, I want to spend some time on it. So when we come back, we're going to still be in John and we're going to do, go to the 14th chapter because there's some really powerful things that I want to share there. Now, I realize that this is a whole lot of scripture that I am giving you and I'm not, and I will say this again next week, I'm not giving you a whole lot of my opinion and commentary 
It just seems like I'm giving you nothing but scripture. But here's the thing. What is the final authority in our life? The word. The word is proving the point of what love has got to do with it. So that's why I'm choosing to go this way. So with that said, we will pick up next week. And I really am going to have to talk fast because I have a lot to go over next week. But right now, I want every head to be bowed, every eye closed.